Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Uh, we are going to continue in this message series. We've called this Faithful, as we are looking different ways that God calls us to walk with Him in faithfulness. And today we want to talk about being faithful in integrity. And to do this, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to find Acts chapter 4. We get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. And then the book of Acts is really the telling of coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and the growth of the mission of the church through the known world at that time. And it's just, I, I was watching a message yesterday um, from a, a church elsewhere, and and the speaker was just saying, uh, you know, if you want uh, like a breath of fresh air, or if you want to just like be excited and encouraged in your faith, just read Acts, because it's just like fast paced and great things are happening. It's super encouraging. So um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up at verse 32, and we're going to focus in on chapter 5. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I encourage you to do so, to stand with me. As I read from Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Uh, at this point, um, already lots has been happening in the church. And verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, relating to what Janice was sharing. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, and here we'll focus today. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. I'm telling you right now, that was not on the job description for the ushers. Um, like, oh, of all days to get scheduled for ushering. But anyway, uh, verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Again, poor guys like, what? Another one? 
Verse 10, at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, we thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I wondered, you know, how do we kind of bring an encouraging message out of something that's so intense and kind of heavy, right? I would say this, I, I believe this is probably the strangest um, episode in the New Testament, other than what you maybe read in, in Revelation and some of those things that, that John sees in his vision. This swift judgment to us seems harsh, seems unfair, seems unkind, um, right? And we, we just think, hey, the guy made a mistake. Cut him some slack, right? Like, isn't God the God of second chances? Well, yes, God is the God of second chances. God is gracious and God is merciful, right? If you are reading with me in the read it through in 22, you would have read in Exodus 34 this week, this verse, these verses, the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, okay, right? God speaking about himself now saying, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's what, that's how God describes himself. And yet God is holy and not to be trifled with. You might remember this from a message a couple weeks ago. We were in Galatians chapter six and we came across this verse. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There's always a point of final accountability where the buck stops. A moment at which we've had our chance to repent and do what's right and now it's too late. That's where Ananias and Sapphira had gotten to. Now, before we unpack this passage a little bit more, we're going to, you know, see how it teaches us about integrity. I want to clear up just a couple more points of, of context. Uh, that helps us understand. First of all, this passage is a report on what was happening in the early church, right, among the first believers. And to that end, it is descriptive more than it is prescriptive. All right? It's describing more than it's prescribing. Um, the fact that the people were selling their property and sharing everything was great. It would be amazing if we were doing that now. And from time to time, I hear that happen. Like, oh yeah, so-and-so gave me their car because they didn't need it anymore. And we needed a car. Like, that's how it's supposed to be. But but it's, a, it's describing. And so the fact that it's described doesn't prescribe that that's all. We all have to go sell our houses and give the money to each other. Unless the Holy Spirit prompts you to do that. Right? So so that's first thing. Priest. Uh, descriptive more than prescriptive. Secondly, this passage does not endorse socialism or communism, as some people have said. Some, there are those who have said, while the Bible is in favor of communism, look how they shared. They had everything together. Um, that, that's not true at all, because the believers freely gave as prompted by the Holy Spirit, right? Whereas in a system like socialism, it's forced. It's taken from you. Whereas for the believers, it was purely voluntary, purely optional, and they gave, you know, as led by the Lord. So that's a big difference. Third point of context is that this passage reveals that their community was very kind of open and transparent, right? Including 
in finances. So they knew and saw what each other was giving and they were okay with that. Now, in our context, uh, we're pretty secretive about money. I don't know what you earn. You don't know what I earn and we're okay with that. I don't know what you give in this church. Um, it sometimes it makes it difficult unless you tell me. Some of you said, hey, this is what we're doing. That's great. It makes it difficult for me to say thank you to you or to um, really disciple you in that area. But it's how we do it. And, you know, that's okay. Um, but while we're closed about this area, uh, in a true community, there is openness even in financial matters. All right. So there's some points about context. Let's talk about integrity from this passage. Now, and, and this isn't in my notes here, but there's two kinds of integrity, uh, really. Often you hear integrity described as, um, integrity is who you are when no one is looking. I think that's a great description. Who you are when no one is looking. However, integrity is also who you are when everyone is looking. Right? Two sides of that same integrity coin. And so today is more about like how you function publicly more than privately. Um, and you wouldn't be a human if you didn't at times struggle with integrity and honesty issues. Uh, I know that's, that's true for me and I'm sure it's true for all of us. So I've got three questions today and a challenge. So three questions from this passage and a challenge. And the first question is this. What causes compromise? What causes compromise? Like what leads us to compromise our integrity? Well, Ananias and Sapphira, his name means God is gracious. It's a great name. Um, her name means um, beautiful. It's a great name, right? This couple saw other people giving and there was something in that that really appealed to them. They liked the look of that. Uh, Barnabas is the example of, of how to do things well. Ananias and Sapphira are the opposite. They remind me of the old saying that says, no life is wasted. You can always serve as a bad example. I like that. And so while their motives are not stated explicitly in the passage, here's what I see happening and what I, I think could happen to you and to me if we don't guard our hearts in this matter, okay? What causes compromise? First thing is they gave into the temptation of acceptance. The temptation of acceptance. They loved and sought the approval of other people that would invariably come from making an impressive sacrifice, and this big contribution. They wanted people's approval more than God's approval. And that's kind of what drove them to this very bad decision. So that's the temptation of acceptance. There's the temptation of status. This is kind of related to acceptance, but it's sort of another level. This is the desire to impress people, right? Not only to be accepted and have their approval, but to be considered a little bit better than others because I did something really important, kind of really big. Um, and so to be seen as a little bit better or to be seen as more successful or, or more humble than others, right? And that's the temptation of status, like elevating myself in whatever area. I think the third temptation was the temptation of greed. 
This is what leads to compromise, the temptation of greed. I just want to have it all. I want more. I'm going to hang on to it. Um, the love of money and material goods, right? So this couple wanted the status of being big givers, but they also wanted to sustain their own prosperity. And so in their mind, they could be comfortable and popular with this scheme. This is going to be a win-win in their mind. So that was the temptation of greed. The fourth thing that leads us to compromise from this passage is the temptation of fear. The temptation of fear is that they did not trust God to be their provider. Right? So compromise happens when we trust ourselves more than we trust God. And that's a behavior rooted in fear. Saying, well, I can't give generously because then there won't be enough for me. I can't make this sacrifice because what about me? And if the Lord is prompting me to do that, then the Lord is going to provide as well. The Lord is going to meet those needs. And so this temptation of fear, like, oh, I've got to hang on. It's, a la- it's that lack of really trusting God in all things. And so that's kind of their place of compromise. And unfortunately, we can't ask Ananias and Sapphira, what were you thinking? Although I would love to be able to ask them, what were you thinking? Right at... I mean, how did they think they would get away with this? I mean, clearly, you know, like, wow, you guys really sold your property cheap. Like, like somebody was going to figure this out. But the pitfalls of acceptance and status and greed and fear overwhelmed good judgment, right? And so they had plenty of opportunity leading up to this moment. They had plenty of opportunity to make it right, and they chose not to. And it's because they had already developed hard and unrepentant hearts. And so what causes compromise? It's the actions of seeking glory for self rather than God's glory. They were stealing God's glory. So seeking glory for self rather than the glory of God. By not trusting God They lied to Peter and they lied to the whole church. They brought that money and set it down. Hey, everybody, you see what we're doing, right? And it leads to my second question, all right? So the first question is what causes compromise? Second question is what makes deception deadly? That's just just a little... So they fudged the truth. Okay, what makes deception deadly? Peter identified their sin as lying to the Holy Spirit. Deception is deadly, figuratively, I would say, and in their case, literally, right? And it's why God had to deal with it so swiftly, because if let loose, it would cause major havoc in the church. You can't have that seed of dishonesty and deception growing into something. Deception is deadly for a couple of reasons. It, it, dis- it destroys community trust. Deception destroys community trust. If Ananias and Sapphira had gotten away with this, what could have happened? One scenario is that they would have been seen like Barnabas, the really good example, right? Maybe elevated into leadership. Oh yeah, those guys, they're awesome. They're really generous. You know, they sold that property. They would have been elevated to, to leadership perhaps, right? But the truth always comes out. 
And so people would have been hurt and betrayed and, and misled. Others would have been led into that same kind of dishonest, corrupted, fake faith, right? Deception is deadly because it's an attempt to lie to God. Lying to God. Ultimately, every sin is against God. If I abuse you in some way, steal from you, harm you, whatever, if I abuse you in some way, I'm sinning against you, but I'm sinning against God because you are God's creation and I'm attacking God's creation. It's a sin against God. Ananias and Sapphira were attempting to deceive the body of Christ, which means they were lying to God, his body. On what planet did they think they could get away with this? I don't know. But that's what happens. Deception, you start believing your own lies. Oh, I I could totally get away with this, right? Deception is also deadly because it makes the image of religion, the picture of religion, more important than the truth of a relationship with God. So Ananias and Sapphira cared more about looking impressive and looking religious, right? More than they cared about how God saw their hearts. Um, I even wonder if they actually cared about the people that would benefit from their gift. Like, it'd be one thing if they said, oh, uh, John and Joan are going through a hard time, you know, let's, let's sell some stuff and help them out. I don't think they were thinking that at all. I think they were just like, we, this is gonna work out good for us. Deception is a false religion. And again, this had to be dealt with swiftly like a cancer in the body. If you're, if you're diagnosed with cancer, and some of you have been through this, you don't go to the oncologist and say, hey, just make it look like I've recovered. That's, I just want it to look good. And, and everybody will be impressed that I beat cancer. No, that's not how you do it, right? You're like, doc, get this thing out of me. Like, let's do whatever it takes, like now, right? You want to deal with things swiftly. And, and this was a cancer in the body that was going to grow and it had to be dealt with in this case very, very quickly, swiftly, harshly even. Which leads to my third question. After what makes deception deadly, the third question is this. What's the value of a great fear? What's the value of a great fear? There's this interesting little phrase. Luke is the only New Testament writer that uses it. He uses it in his, in the Gospel of Luke. He uses it in Acts several times. He uses it twice in this passage in verse 5 and in verse 11. Verse 5, he says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. In verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The Greek, I don't know if you care about this, egeneto phobos megas. Megas means great, like mega, right? Phobos, fear, phobias, right? This seized with fear, gripped with fear, taken by fear, and, and Luke uses this number of times. He uses this at the birth of John the Baptist. When John's father, Zechariah, was unable to speak. And they're like, what's the name of the baby? And then John says, his name is John. And boom, he can start speaking. And it says people were seized with fear. Like, what is going on? 
right? It happens when Jesus cast uh, the demons out of a guy and the demons go into the pig and the pig jumps off the cliff and into the water. That happens there and people were seized with fear. It happens in Acts chapter 19 when there's some occult practices that are happening even among the new believers in Ephesus and uh, and there's this kind of major power encounter and it says the people were seized with fear and as a result they repented and got right with God. In every case when there's a seizing with fear in Luke's episodes, every time it causes glory to God, praise to God, the church to grow, except in the one case of the demons and the pigs, the people beg Jesus to leave them and don't come back because they're so freaked out. But it's an important little passage, the seized with fear business. And the swift deaths of Ananias and Sapphira reminded the church of the absolute holiness of God. There's no messing around. And yes, we love the mercy of God and the grace of God. And it's mostly, you know, we sing a lot about it in our songs. We talk about it. We identified at the beginning of our message today. God had identifies himself as a merciful God, right? Uh, but God cannot tolerate deception in his presence. He looks for pure honesty. We cannot afford to be casual or careless with our sin. Sin is serious. It has to be dealt with. If it wasn't serious, God wouldn't have sent his own son, Jesus, to come to earth, die on the cross, take all our sins on him, make salvation, make forgiveness possible. God only did that because sin is serious. He deals with it seriously. Um, and a critique of this episode is that Peter didn't give them a chance to repent. Peter didn't say, time out, Ananias. You want to... You want to start this over again? Like, you want to get right with God? No. He doesn't give them that moment. And that's a little hard for us, right? Why? It's because Ananias had had many chances already. Right? Think about this. One big wrong choice is simply the sum of many small wrong choices. You don't go from here to there without many choices beforehand. Let me give you an example. The man or a woman who cheats on their spouse, right, doesn't just get there instantly. It's a series of many small decisions. And at some point, the sin of adultery is virtually irresistible, right? The spirit is speaking, challenging you, your conscience, but you keep suppressing that, right? So in this case... You know, the flirting at the coffee shop, the secret text message, the, the, the casual touches, the fantasizing of intimacy. And all of a sudden, you know, all that has to happen before the choice to, to stray. But then, then there they are and it, it, the big event happens. Even though there were many opportunities to bring those decisions into the light of repentance and put a stop to it. But Ananias and Sapphira had conspired together and had passed their chance to make it right. I heard a speaker uh, on the radio recently say that his generation, and I'm pretty sure he was about my age, just based on the context of the, of the talk, uh, that his generation were the last ones to fear our parents. You know what I mean? Um, like, 
I'm in the generation that we knew we could get in trouble for real if we messed up. There was sort of this, like, you're a little scared of mom and dad, right? Becky and I have sometimes joked that one reason we, you know, managed to keep ourselves for marriage was that we knew our parents would kill us if we didn't. So it helped uh, in, in that way. And, and it, you know, it helps you stay on the straight and narrow if there's a little healthy fear of mom and dad. Um, or maybe it just makes you really good at sneaking around. I'm not sure. That's possible too. But some fear is good for us. It's helpful. And the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira reminded this church that God is to be feared. That they weren't just to be a club, right? A nice social group a friendly organization, a community of goodwill. They were the people of God. They were representing God and, and, and living for His glory. They were on a mission to call people to repent of sin and to live forgiven and holy lives before Him, just as we are today. At no point do we say we're perfect. That's why we have to repent. That's why we call each other to make things right with God and walk in holiness because we're not perfect. That's the whole point. But that a great fear is helpful to remind us of the holiness of God. Which brings us to my challenge. So those are the three questions, but I have a challenge. And the challenge is this. We want to pursue integrity for the glory of God. We want to pursue integrity for the glory of God. You see, their deception wasn't only bad for them. It was an attempt to seek glory for themselves and thus steal glory from God. The account of Ananias and Sapphira should speak, and it does speak to us loud and clear uh, even today. For example, for me, when I read this passage, it makes me think through my own motives for giving, financial giving, Right? Do I do it out of a love for God and a love for people? Or is it out of a love for self? Is it so that I can get the tax receipt? Is it so that like just hopefully people will notice just just how generous I am? Like what's the what's the what's the motivation? It's good to assess ourselves in that whose glory do I seek? It pushes me to assess am I deceiving Others, am I deceiving myself? I'm attempting to lie to God in any way. God speaks truth and he wants us to live truthful lives. Their sudden deaths challenge me to think about integrity in my relationships, in my worship, in my work ethic, in my finances, in my habits. And all of that is because everything either builds toward or takes away from the glory of God. I'm going to invite Christine and worship team to prepare to lead us in a closing song today that's really a declaration of of um, yielding ourselves to Him. Let me give you an example of this whole business and how this applies even now. It's tax season. Right? I got my notice from my accountant that it's time to get all my stuff together and send it in. And 
Every year when I go through my taxes, there are has, seem to be invariably be some, I'll call them gray areas. Well, yeah, you know, we have a tax person or at least one or more in the room. And there is, I'll be honest with you, that thought goes through my mind every time. Well, do I really have to declare that? Like, do I really have to? Like, the government does a terrible job of managing our money. And it's not theirs, it's ours. Well, it's God's. So maybe they'll answer to God, and maybe it's okay. Um, right? Will I pursue integrity and trust God to meet my needs? Or will I fudge the numbers and just keep try to keep a little extra for myself? Like, will I trust God to provide? Will I be honest even if it hurts a little on April 15th? Because if I do what's right, it glorifies God. And if I don't, it glorifies myself. What about your workplace? Are you completely trustworthy? Do you take anything that isn't yours? That's good. This week, my my son, who drives a company vehicle for his job, I said, hey, on your way back from such and such, can you just make a stop in this place outside of town and pick something up for me? He goes, no. I'm not allowed to use my truck for anything but work. I'm like, I'm thought, it's like a quarter mile off the freeway. Just Right? I was so proud of him. It's like, good job, son. Way to go. Like, integrity matters in all those things. God's only glorified when we trust Him and we honor Him with our very lives, even in the details. A life of open trust in God is a megaphone to the world. Just as Janice said, you know, our unity is a declaration of Jesus to the community. This is the, this applies as well. Like my ability openly to trust God declares who Jesus is, that he's trustworthy, that my willingness to risk everything for him says God's faithful. He will come through a life of integrity is for God's glory. We're going to sing this great old classic, right? We're going to sing, take my life. We're going to sing this song called take my life and let it be. And Christy, you can come on up here. And um, it was written many years ago by a woman of great means. She she came from a wealthy family. And uh, she tells a story of boxing up a bunch of jewelry and expensive silver and all these things and selling it to give to the mission board, give to the mission field. She has this line in the song. It's just a song of like, take my life and let it be consecrated, like set apart, Lord, for you. She has this one verse, and we'll sing it. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite. It's not like the tiniest penny. Not a mite would I withhold. That's hard. That's a hard line to sing. But she writes in her in her diary about about the freedom that she experienced when she just surrendered everything rather than pursuing and holding on to what was rightfully hers, yielding it, surrendering it to God. God is glorified in that. So as we sing this, there may be some areas of challenge or integrity or holding back or not trusting God or some place where you're saying, Lord, I've been resisting you in this part of my life and I just want to yield it all to you. I'm going to pray for you and then we'll go into the song.
God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the challenge. Lord, our hearts are shocked at this episode of, of this couple and, and how this went down. We surely would not want to see that happen in our own midst. God, we want to be people who walk with you, living for your glory by living lives that are integrous, whether we're seen or not. And Lord, where we've compromised, where we've fudged, I pray you just remind us of that, that we can make it right with you, right with others, continue to live for your praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.